the Willie Jackson Experiment. I'm your host, the one, the only, Willie Jackson. Alright, so I got a great show for you guys. Um, One of the things I was thinking about the other day, um, I really don't know the whole story behind Twitter. Um, Obviously, I remember when Twitter was kind of like a big controversy, Donald Trump tweeting a lot and um you know recently with elon musk uh taking it over and wanting to restore free speech and to me i've been kind of so conditioned by social media um as far as like what's appropriate what's not appropriate what you can post what you can and so i've kind of like i kind of wanted to cover this because it's it's pretty interesting you know like i'm i have like so many memes that i saved that are just so funny and they would instantly get me like a 30, 60, 90 day ban. I don't even know where I'm at on the band list uh, with Facebook right now. But, um, you know, it's it's one of those things, you know, once you've been to Facebook jail, you kind of there's certain things you kind of want to participate in in social media. And you realize, oh, man, <laughs> I'm in jail. Um, you know, and some of the stuff is kind of interesting. So uh, I decided to do this episode just to kind of look into the Twitter, the history, kind of how it came to be, and just kind of look into some things of how possibly social media could actually be changed by Elon Musk, and, you know, possibly how social media maybe possibly influenced elections, um, not just in America, but around the world, and so it's kind of interesting, you know, uh, me personally, I didn't agree with some of the stuff that you know some of the allegations like russia interfered with uh, getting trump elected and stuff like that so there's a lot of those things that kind of come up into this with uh how much people are actually influenced by social media so that's uh my show that i have for you is uh twitter so hope you enjoy in order to make America metal, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. The topic is right to accept my revenge. Spill it in the blood. I won't fight to the end. No more lying and wait. Just do it even the score. There's a price to be paid. It's time for war. Just when you think it's safe, I'd attack. I am back when you least expect your fate. I'd attack. I am back to kick in your face. What a big mistake. I am back. We will make America never again. Smack. I am back. Brother, walking brother, spilling blood across this land. Killing food religion Something I don't understand Fools like me Who was the sea And come to foreign lands As the sheep For their clothes You kill with God's command A country that's divided Surely will not stand My ass erased No more disgrace Not boys Not even stand the engineer is crystal clean, part of the master plan. Don't now, it's real. It might be clear only, only more. 
We will make America metal again. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. This is the story of Twitter, brought to you by Brute America. So like, subscribe, and ring the bell over there at Brute America. Hope you guys like this. I heard he dyed his hair today. I read it on Twitter. I am going to make history here uh, as the first president to live tweet. I see it on Twitter. Trending, trending, trending. It's one of the most influential social media platforms. The multi-billion dollar company has revolutionized news coverage, grassroots organizing, and has shaped political discourse. This is the true story of Twitter. Twitter? What does that mean? I don't really know. It's like a blog, like an instantaneous blog thing. I will not be Twittering. It all started in 2005. Out of the offices of a dying podcasting company called Odeo, run by Evan Williams, Noah Glass, and Biz Stone. At the time, the startup chances of success were doomed by the arrival of Apple's new podcasting service. So they asked their employees to come up with new business ideas. Jack Dorsey, a college dropout, hired as a web designer, pitched the idea of an SMS-based communication platform that would allow users to send status updates to their friends. It was initially named TWTTR, a stylized version of the word Twitter, the sound birds make to communicate with each other. On March 21st, 2006, Dorsey posted the first ever tweet. The original 140 character cap for a tweet was due to the limit mobile carriers put on text messages. Twitter kept the limit even as they developed into the web platform. Twitter had a slow start and was mainly used by its employees. I heard about Twitter because I heard when there was an earthquake recently here in California. In August 2006, when a small earthquake shook San Francisco, users realized that Twitter could also be used to spread information. In March 2007, during the South by Southwest conference, the number of tweets per day went from 20,000 to over 60,000. In August 2007, a user by the name of Chris Moya invented the hashtag, and it was later added to the platform. In January 2009, when a plane made an emergency landing in the Hudson River, a photo was posted on Twitter. Broke the news before the media did. I'm realizing that Twitter actually has a lot of practical uses, um, both in terms of following news and following issues that uh, you care about in real time. In April 2009, Oprah Winfrey set up her Twitter account on TV, which led to a record number of new users. No idea what Twitter is, and I feel like I should find out because everybody Twitters. In June 2009, following a disputed presidential election in Iran, protesters used Twitter to coordinate a political movement, the Green Movement. During that time, Twitter delayed the planned server maintenance at the request of the U.S. State Department officials so as to not disrupt the flow of information, helping protesters organize. 
I don't think we could have we would have been able to get the coverage that we're getting um, without these social networking websites. I'm really glad that people in Iran are aware of Facebook, that they know what Twitter is. In 2011, Barack Obama, the first president to have a Twitter account, held a Twitter town hall, where he answered questions and tweeted by... All right, I think I have done this properly, but here's the test. And you tweeted. How about that? <laughs> Not bad. In 2012, during the Arab Spring, Twitter became a powerful tool for protesters to communicate. We carried out a revolution to regain our freedom in all forms in the media and social media. They want to block our freedom, but even Twitter, the latest technology. We reject this. Terrorist organizations also began utilizing the platform, posing serious security threats. Governments can monitor, but no, they cannot really control with the new multi, with the multitude of channels of information in social media and other. And it's a cat and mouse game between the governments and uh, these groups. And for example, people like ISIS are using some of the. Twitter uh, channels for uh, fundraising. But we're always looking to make sure that we have the right partnership with the government to understand what the needs are and to really push. And we made safety the number one priority as a company um, on the platform. In September 2018, Dorsey testified before the U.S. Senate alongside Facebook CEO Sheryl Sandberg regarding election manipulation on their platforms, regarding propaganda, regarding efforts to incite violence. There's two main categories of usage in Twitter. One is the people you follow, and those tweets end up in your timeline. Two are the more common shared spaces like search, trends, and also replies. That's where anyone could interject themselves. Um, and that's where we see the most gaming of our systems. And that's where we've also made the most progress in terms of identifying these patterns and shutting them down before they spread too far. In 2019, Twitter removed thousands of fake accounts tied to foreign governments like Iran and Russia, used to influence political discourse. Since taking office in 2017, President Trump, Donald Trump, tweeted 26,234 times, often to make announcements, to issue orders, to express an opinion. I wrote something out this morning on a thing called Twitter, whether we like it or not. It is a good way. It, a, it is a good way of getting the word out. In 2020, Twitter began labeling certain tweets as misleading, including some by President Trump. We have a policy against misinformation in three categories, which are manipulated media, public health, specifically COVID, and civic integrity, election, election interference, and voter suppression. On January 8, 2021, days after the Capitol insurrection, believed to have been incited by the president, Trump's account was permanently suspended. But I think Big Texas made a terrible mistake and very, very bad for our country. Yeah, and I think this is pretty funny because 
Trump's account has recently been restored and they showed what he wrote, the tweets that he sent prior to being suspended. And so it's pretty funny. Uh, um, I could probably find them and read them. I think it would be pretty funny. So Twitter has been on a roller coaster throughout 2022, ending on October 27th in one of the biggest tech takeovers in history. Going back earlier this year, here in April, Elon Musk made a massive $44 billion bid for the company. But just three months later, he called it off. Twitter sued. Musk sued back. Oh, yeah, Twitter. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Then he changed his mind again. This has been a drawn-out fight between Twitter and Musk, with a lot of twists and turns. Those twists and turns take place on a timeline that has not only influenced stock prices, but has also sown uncertainty among employees. And as Twitter says, contributed to a 1% decline in revenue. So how did Musk's flip-flopping on the deal lead to a six-month battle that threw off Twitter's business? His tweets, statements, and text messages, as well as court documents, tell the story. The timeline starts here, on January 31st, when Musk started buying up shares of Twitter. And he started sharing his opinions about how the platform works. He did toss out a lot of ideas on how to change Twitter, um, how he thought he could make Twitter better. Things like emphasizing free speech, things like changing how it approaches content moderation. After months of buying, Musk publicly disclosed a 9.2% stake in the company. His first tweet of the day said simply, The next day, Twitter announced that Musk would be joining the board. Musk is one of the most prominent users of Twitter, but he's also been one of its loudest critics. Twitter invited him to join the board to try to bring him into the fold and work with him on these issues. Musk tweeted that he was looking forward to making significant improvements to Twitter in the coming months. At first, when um, he was talking with Twitter's leadership, it was pretty friendly. But then friction, tension started to emerge. As Musk was gearing up to join, he was still criticizing the platform, tweeting, is Twitter dying? CEO Parag Agrawal texted Musk, it's my responsibility to tell you that it's not helping me make Twitter better in the current context. To which Musk responded, I'm not joining the board. This is a waste of time. We'll make an offer to take Twitter private. Musk would be the new owner. And I think the thinking is that if Twitter's private, he would be able to take more risk in trying to overhaul or jumpstart their business. It didn't take long for Musk to act on that promise, formally announcing his $43 billion bid to take over the company. The number was later revised to $44 billion. In an interview with Ted that day, he explained his decision. My, my strong intuitive sense is that Uh, having a public platform that is maximally trusted um, and and, 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 and broadly inclusive um, is extremely important to the future of civilization. On April 25th, Musk and Twitter officially reached a merger agreement. But even as Musk was lining up fresh financing and sharing more ideas for the platform, he had a surprise in store. The billionaire CEO announcing just hours ago that the $44 billion deal to take Twitter private is now on hold. Musk tweeted that the deal was temporarily on hold as he was waiting for more information from Twitter on the number of spam accounts on the site. We know that Musk had talked about um, bots um, before the deal, um, but then 
he started having um, more concerns or saying he had more concerns and he started questioning kind of the, the health of Twitter's business. Musk expressed interest in a lower price for the company at the All In Summit on May 16th. Uh, you, you can't pay the same price for something that is much worse than they claimed. Twitter's CEO addressed Musk's bot claims, tweeting in a thread that the company estimated that less than 5% of reported monetizable daily active users are spam accounts, and they don't believe this specific estimation can be performed externally. Musk replied with several tweets, but one was just... Musk continued to push himself further from the deal, threatening to walk away in a letter to Twitter saying he believed the company is actively resisting and thwarting his information rights. Musk's reversal was followed by a flurry of coverage and commentary. Yeah, I feel like Elon is pretty close to saying, uh, I'm so sorry, my two-year-old took my iPad and clicked buy, so I didn't know what the... <laughs> So we're cool, we're cool, right? Can... He officially tried to call the whole thing off at the beginning of July. I mean, at the start, Musk was really pushing for this deal and Twitter was kind of resisting. And then it, it kind of seemed like their positions changed and um, Musk was the one trying to back out while Twitter was saying that they wanted to close. Four days later, Twitter formally sued Musk in an effort to force the merger through. So Twitter said they did share information about how they handled um, spam and fake accounts with Musk, um, but Musk kept demanding more. And um, that was a big part of the legal fight that was going on. The filing took aim at Musk's flip-flopping, focusing on how it affected the company. Just looking through the filing here, um, it says, quote, Musk apparently believes that he, unlike every other party subject to Delaware contract law, is free to change his mind, trash the company, disrupt its operations, destroy stockholder value, and walk away. Musk filed a countersuit, claiming revisions to user numbers in the company's first quarter earnings in April were what sparked his push for bot data. Twitter rejected Musk's claims. As both sides prepared for a fight in court, a former Twitter employee filed a whistleblower complaint against the company, alleging, among other things, that Twitter doesn't properly count spam accounts. Musk seized on that as further ammunition to call the agreement off. But after pushing for months to end the deal, he changed his mind again. At the beginning of October, he proposed closing on the original terms. That was surprising because it's not really like him to back down. I mean, we've seen um, prior lawsuits where um, he's fought more and for longer. In a Tesla earnings call on October 19th, Musk spoke briefly about the deal. Although obviously um, myself and the other investors are obviously overpaying for Twitter right now, um, the long-term potential for Twitter in my view is an order of magnitude greater than its current value. Twitter isn't in the shape it was back in April. We have more you know, economic concerns just broadly in the economy. And then specifically for Twitter, the uncertainty has weighed on Twitter um, because no one knew if the deal was actually going to go through. Upon completing the takeover, Musk fired CEO Parag Agarwal and Chief Financial Officer Ned Segal, according to people familiar with the matter. Twitter did not immediately respond to requests for comment. I want to talk now with uh, jo Jonathan Turley, who's kind enough to join us, uh, who certainly has uh, his perspective uh, as a law professor and uh, dealing with a lot of these issues, to say the least. So thank you, Congressman Comer. Now, uh, per usual, you know, the FBI, Jonathan, uh, he's going, he says the FBI has to be dismantled, et cetera. The FBI's admitted uh, no wrongdoing. Let me start with this. They've admitted no wrongdoing. Why would they? 
writing in a statement here, sir, quote, the Bureau regularly engages with private sector entities that make decisions about what, if any, action they take on their platforms and for their customers after the FBI has notified them. Fox News contributor Jonathan Turley, uh, what is your reaction to that kind of a statement with what we know now from this recent drop of the Twitter files? Well, you know, <clears throat> Tammy, what's disturbing about the statement is it shows absolutely no self-awareness of what has already been disclosed. I mean, it's showing utter contempt for the American people. The FBI could have said, look, we find these allegations disturbing. We're going to conduct our own immediate investigation to see if, if these types of contacts went too far. And instead, they're just saying, well, we did nothing but correspond with companies. That is not what these new files are suggesting. They're suggesting censorship by surrogate, by proxy. You have dozens of, of FBI agents who supposedly were tasked to go through social media. You have 150 contacts with just one Twitter executive uh, giving lists of users that should be banned, including satirical sites. Um, there's very little runway left for the FBI to continue to deny that there isn't a serious problem here. People, I think, largely agree, I hope, that while the, the First Amendment applies to the government, it also applies to agents of the government. So if the FBI uses a proxy, uses an agent like Twitter, it's still censorship. It's still a violation of the First Amendment. You know, what, what's interesting here, too, and I, I think that Americans are frustrated because with the FBI, they seem, whether it was, you know, the Russia dossier hoax, you know, their interference, uh, some argue in the 2016 and 20 elections, is that nothing ever seems to happen. Are we missing something that Congress can do other than have reality television, uh, you know, committees, uh, you know, every day? Is there something that can be done immediately especially with your remarks about their statement, which effectively confirms that they seem to be fine, they knew about it, they weren't outraged or shocked. Uh, what, what are the options here? Well, obviously, it's going to take some time to build the type of case for substantive change. I don't think most people are talking about dismantling the FBI. I think what the representative is probably talking about is dismantling these troublesome components of the FBI, if there is a censorship uh, program going on. And we right. do need to look at that, but a case has to be made. This, these files are not just an indictment of the FBI, they're an indictment of Congress. Uh, Congress has shown a steadfast refusal to dig into uh, the censorship allegations. Many of us have been writing about this for years. The Democratic members have refused to pursue this. And in fact, Democratic members have pushed social media companies to expand censorship. You know, in the very hearing where Jack Dorsey apologized for the Hunter Biden laptop uh, uh, debacle, uh, the immediate reaction of Democratic senators were to tell him, don't backslide on us. We want more censorship. Well, now we have not just censorship. We have blacklisting. We have these shadow bans. All of that is now open to the public. And so in some ways, Musk has forced people to choose sides. And I think that some of the anger that you see in the media borders on self-loathing. I mean, they're having now mm -hmm. to embrace not just being censorship apologists, but blacklisting and shadow banning and also lying, because that's what we've seen for the last three years. That's a lot. 
to take on yourself and still claim that you're a journalist or you believe in free speech. So it's going to take a while, but I cannot tell you how long overdue this is. We need to see it all. And hopefully the House is yeah. going to pursue that. Well, great stuff. And you have been, of course, one of them. This has been on your plate for years. And an excellent point about Congress <laughs> and their abdicated responsibility or their complicitness with, like, the Democrats. I mean, for those of us who are classical liberals, you know, we used to be, you know, thank you, against the government spying on us. It's like we're in some kind of netherworld. Uh, Jonathan Turley, thank you very much. This is Joe Biden, the current resident of the United States. Leading up to the midterm elections, Biden started using the following line. 20 months ago, the economy, the economy was in ruins. Trump is the first president since Herbert Hoover. It's a fact, since Herbert Hoover to lose jobs over the course of his presidency. Fewer jobs when he left than when he came to office. Okay, first off, in January 2021, the United States economy was not in ruins. That's just a huge lie. And here's some context. When President Trump entered office in 2017, the unemployment rate was at 4.7%. By February 2020, it had lowered to 3.5%. During Trump's first three years in office, the United States economy gained 6,876,000 jobs. And those are very good numbers by any metric. But then, in March 2020, the unemployment rate rose to 4.4%, and the next month in April, it surged to a staggering 14.7%. Over those two months, nearly 22 million jobs were lost. So how and why did the U.S. economy lose all those jobs? Well, according to Joe Biden, it's because Trump is the new Herbert Hoover. When I took office, this economy was in ruins. My predecessor was the first president since Herbert Hoover to lose jobs during his four-year presidency. The first president. Now, I know that it's been memory hold at this point, but there was in fact a global pandemic. And at the behest of our expert scientist class, the federal government artificially shut down the country for two weeks to stop the spread, which essentially evolved into one year to flatten the curve. Just look at the facts. When I took office, the economy was in ruins. My, this is not because of me, it's because of what we, I inherited. My predecessor was the first president since Herbert Hoover to lose jobs. He had fewer jobs when he left office than when he came to office. Last president that happened to was literally Herbert Hoover. Literally Herbert Hoover. Herbert Hoover. So in just two months time, nearly 22 million jobs were lost due to the pandemic. However, during Trump's last nine months in office, 12.5 million of those jobs were recovered, and the unemployment rate dropped from 14.7% to 6.4%. Objectively, that is a strong recovery, especially considering all of the uncertainty surrounding the pandemic, which was still raging. But Joe Biden thinks that you're stupid enough to believe him when he claims that it was in ruins. Let's take a look at the facts. When I took office, this economy was in ruins. When I took office, the economy was in ruins. My predecessor was the first president since Herbert Hoover. Not a joke, to lose jobs in the entirety of his administration, the first. But then, like magic, the second Joe Biden took office, he just turned it around. Let's just take a look at the facts. 10 million jobs created since we took office. A record for any administration. 
in American history. 10 million jobs created since I took office. A record in any administration. And this is a lie. The majority of those jobs are not created, they are recovered. Let's look at the math. In March and April 2020, 21,991,000 jobs were lost. From May 2020 to January 2021, 12.5 million of those jobs were recovered, which left 9,487,000 jobs needed to get back to pre-pandemic levels. So to break even, there would need to be 9.5 million jobs added back to the economy. But the second that Joe Biden took office, he painted himself as some economic savior and decided to take all the credit. This morning, we've learned that our economy created 900,000 jobs in March. It means the first two months of our administration has seen more new jobs created than the first two months in any administration in history. So at this point, he had barely been in office for 10 weeks, yet he's like, look at all the new jobs. Of course, these are not new jobs. They are not created jobs. These were recovered jobs. In other words, he was full of from the very beginning. The economy created 266,000 jobs in April. In fact, altogether, since the time we took office, we've created more than 1.5 million jobs in the country. It's the most jobs created in the first 100 days of any president on record. I mean, he literally didn't do anything to create jobs. In May, our economy created 559,000 new jobs. That means we have now created over 2 million jobs in total since I took office. More jobs than ever been created in the first four months of any presidency in modern history. More jobs than have ever been created in the first five months of any presidency in modern history. We're now the first administration in history to add jobs every single month on our first six months in office. <clears throat> In total, the job creation in the first eight months of my administration is nearly five million jobs. <clears throat> Today, uh, another great day for our economic recovery. What? For our economic recovery. 81 million votes, guys. The job creation in the first full nine months of my administration is about 5.6 million new jobs, a record for any new president. All told, in the first 10 full months of my administration, the economy has created 6 million jobs, a record for a new president. Okay, I think you get the point. Biden has been repeating this accomplishment since taking office, and media outlets have been more than happy to repeat this empty talking point. Biden sets first year record with 6.6 .6 million jobs added. The economy created nearly as many jobs in President Joe Biden's first year as were created in Donald Trump's first three years combined. This morning's report caps off my first year as president. And over that period, our economy created 6.6 .6 million jobs. 6.6 .6 million jobs. You can't remember another year when so many people went to work in this country. There's a reason. It never happened. It never happened because the U.S. economy was never shut down artificially like it was during COVID. Take a look at the chart. You can look at the last, all the way back to President Reagan. Look how many jobs we've created in an average per month. This is, uh, it's never happened before. And look, history's been made here. 
No, it hasn't. The chart that Biden is pointing to is comparing the monthly job growth during his first year with the average monthly job growth of presidents during their entire first and second terms. How is this substantive? And again, he's saying that he created jobs. But the reality is that during Biden's first year in office, the economy recovered 6,727,000 jobs, but it was still short by 2,760,000. Now, to be fair, there have been fact checks from media outlets calling Biden out on his exaggerations. So it's not like they were completely ignoring his lies about job growth. Yet those fact checks are few and far between, which means that Biden is free to ignore their existence and continue to push his economic savior bullshit. 10 million jobs created since I take office. I mean, what's the media supposed to do to counter this? Keep a running tally of Biden's lies and misleading statements like they did with Trump? Get real. They only do that with Republican presidents. Anyway, on December 2nd, 2022, the POTUS account tweeted the following. We're building an economy from the bottom up and the middle out by creating more jobs than any administration in history at this point in a presidency. So obviously, fact checks from media organizations aren't doing all that much to shame the Biden administration into telling the truth. But maybe, just maybe, Twitter can change all that. In the hours after that tweet was published, Twitter readers added context they thought people might want to know. This graph misleadingly credits Biden for the creation of new jobs. The spike in jobs is more accurately attributed to the lifting of COVID-19 restrictions at the state and local level. These are not new jobs, but instead jobs that are returning to the economy pre-COVID-19. God, I love the new Twitter. And in the last month or so, Twitter has added valuable context to BS White House claims multiple times. Thank God for you, Elon Musk. The POTUS account posted, We've created 10.5 million jobs since I took office. More than any administration in history at this point in a presidency. And I'm proud 750,000 of those are manufacturing jobs. And again, Twitter readers provided important context, pointing out that the majority of those jobs are not new jobs, they're recovered jobs. And for the record, under the Biden administration, there have only been 1,044,000 new jobs added from February 2021 to November 2022. Now, I say only because the economy should have exploded. All Biden had to do was encourage states and localities to reopen. That's it. But instead, his policies gave way to 40-year high inflation, record high gas prices, and two consecutive quarters of negative GDP. And when there's that much uncertainty in the market, it's not very conducive to job growth. Another example of Biden's bullshit is claiming that 750,000 manufacturing jobs had been created under his leadership. A resurgence of American manufacturing that's already created, by the way, 700,000 brand new manufacturing jobs. We made 700,000 manufacturing jobs here in America just since I've been president. We created 700,000 manufacturing jobs and over 700,000 manufacturing jobs. American manufacturing is surging with 700 new manufacturing jobs created and many more to come. So when the White House tried to brag tweet about 750,000 new manufacturing jobs, 
The Twitter fact checkers pointed out that only 150,000 of those jobs were new and that the rest of them were recovered. And the Twitter fact checkers aren't just going after the Biden administration on job statistics. They've added context to White House claims about lowering the deficit, social security increases, small business applications, gas prices, the cost of insulin for Medicare recipients, the 15% minimum tax on certain large corporations, American exports, and stats about unemployment benefits. So with all the pushback from Twitter, you will not be surprised at Joe Biden's response when a reporter asked him if Elon Musk should be investigated. Whether or not he is doing anything inappropriate, I'm not suggesting that. I'm suggesting that it's worth, worth being looked at. Um, and, uh, um, and, uh, but that's all I'll say. There's a lot of ways. Uh, all right. There's a lot of ways to look at Elon Musk and Twitter. Get it? And this not-so-veiled threat was made before Elon decided to release internal files that related to collusion between old Twitter and the Biden presidential campaign, the DNC, and the FBI. And what's been released has barely scratched the surface. So if you think Biden and the Democrats are mad now, you haven't seen anything yet. And on that note, that's it for now. Speaking of Twitter, follow me at Don't Walk Run and be sure that you're still subscribed to the channel. As always, I hope to see you next time. If there is next time.